everybody. Welcome back to another Lost Ladies of Lit mini episode. I'm Amy Helms here with my writing partner, Kim Askew. Hey, everybody. We hope you, our listeners, are getting the chance to spend time this week with someone near and dear to you. We have so much to be thankful for, including the vaccines that are making it actually possible for us to really celebrate Thanksgiving this year, and maybe for some of you even to travel. Amy, I don't have to ask what you're doing this week because it's always the same. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Thanksgiving week every year, I go with my husband's side of the family. His parents have rented the very same house in Northern California for Thanksgiving. Get this, going back almost 50 years. That's a dream. I love that idea, especially with my growing up moving all over the world. The idea of going to the same Thanksgiving every year is like... Yeah, it's such a great tradition The house is right on the beach. You never know what kind of weather you're really going to have. And there have actually been a few Thanksgivings in recent years where we lost power for several days on end, which is always an adventure. (laughs) Um, But that said, it's become a comfortably familiar place to me. And it's really interesting, I think, the way that being there sort of marks time. It kind of reminds me of that movie, Um, There was that Alan Alda movie. I think it was called Same Time Next Year. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, totally. Yep. Which I've never seen. I've always wanted to see it. I mean, that was about two lovers that would meet up at the same cottage every year. This is more family friendly than that. But um, (laughs) yeah, so a decade ago, there were babies crawling everywhere. And now we're kind of moving into preteen territory with all the cousins My in-laws always have fun surprises in store for the kids. They brought a magician in the year before COVID struck, and he actually had to wind up performing in the dark because that was also one of the years the power went out. So always a little unpredictable there. Always fun, though. But what about you? What are your Thanksgiving plans? We're recording this a few weeks before Thanksgiving. Yeah, so um, we are going back and forth, but I think we're going to try something different, which is having Thanksgiving with our friends, Kathy, Paul, and their five-year-old, Sebi. We've been doing a lot of pandemic vacations with them, and it's been really great. So we thought we would spend Thanksgiving with them this year, and then we're spending Christmas with family. Nice. Yeah. And Hanukkah at home. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to have kind of your family, family, and then your family of your choosing. Yeah. It's nice to have a little bit of both. So yeah. 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 Christmas and Thanksgiving are so close together. Maybe a little too close. It feels like, honestly, right around the beginning of November, Mm -hmm. I tell you this every year, Kim, it feels like you're at the top of a roller coaster and you're about to head down the hill and it just flies out of control. And Mm -hmm. until January rolls around, it's just crazy. It always stresses me out. It does always stress you out. It does. Mm -hmm. This year I feel (laughs) a little better because I'm getting off on a tangent here, but Mm -hmm. I think because of the whole supply chain thing, Uh I've had to start doing my Christmas shopping really early. Oh no. Oh, am I making you panic now? Yes, because you always (laughs) do it earlier than me and there's a supply chain issue. Oh no. Kim, how do you not know this? No, I kind of know about the supply chain thing, but I I just, I'm very spontaneous and I usually wait till the last week and then run around because I always have to get the perfect present for everyone for Hanukkah and Christmas. I celebrate Hanukkah with my husband and my daughter and Christmas. So if Mike had been Jewish, you would also be celebrating Hanukkah, which would just put you over the edge. Oh my God, that would be way too much. Because we're talking about how many crazy nights? Way too much. Yes. But I will say my early Christmas shopping, there is a downside to that. I've had to be like, no, 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 no. Don't buy that yet. 
to mm-hmm. my family. Maybe don't buy that yet because that might somehow be coming into your life soon. Or a thing that the kid wants in September, they don't want in late November anymore. We're getting way off track here, but really we are here to talk about Thanksgiving. Yes. So we thought it would be fun for this week's mini to give a sort of literary nod to the Thanksgiving holiday. So right off the top of my head, I was trying to think about Thanksgiving books, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not super familiar with too many novels that are set around Thanksgiving. Kim, I know you probably know more than I do, but I'm going to do a shout out to listeners right now. This is where we need your help. Drop us a note if you can think of some interesting Thanksgiving tales for us to feature next year. Yeah, The one that I think of primarily, the first thing that pops into my head is Jonathan Franzen's The Corrections. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which is not exactly an idyllic Uh, I mean, it's hilarious, but it's not warm and fuzzy for sure. No. And then there's Rick Moody's The Ice Storm, which I love. I love the movie. I actually haven't read the book, but I absolutely love the movie. That, again, is also, you know, kind of dark. Yeah. If you haven't seen that, for some of our younger listeners, maybe that's a film with Elijah Wood and Christina Ricci and some other big names. Really great. Just basic dysfunction. So, you know, I didn't want to kind of go there with this episode. I was trying to think of something more uplifting. Yeah. And also, you know, me and holidays, I'm all about, you know, the warm and fuzzy. Yeah. Making it happy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, where are you going, Kim? I thought you were going to take a dark turn. For no, 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 no. Well, okay. So since we're going to keep things a bit lighter, we've decided to, how about a short story by Louisa May Alcott called an old fashioned Thanksgiving. I want some cider right now. Just saying that makes me want cider. Serve up the pumpkin pie, y'all. Yeah, yeah. So Kim and I could sit here and talk about this little story, but we wanted to do something a little bit different this week instead. Yeah, rather than ask you to go hunt up the story, we thought we'd save you the trouble and read it to you. The best bits, that is. I have actually wanted Amy to try out. She has such an expressive voice, as you've heard, if you've listened to any of our other episodes where, you know, she's done sort of a longer piece. Um, I always wanted to hear her read something out loud for us. I know. I always kind of had, you know, when Joe March goes to read to... At March. Yeah, exactly. I was always jealous of her because I love reading out loud. So I thought it would be fun to read this story. Thank God for literature in the public domain also. So consider this episode your Lost Ladies of Lit story hour to get you in the Thanksgiving spirit or maybe to aid you in digesting your Thanksgiving dinner, depending on when in the week you tune in. Right. And though, of course, Louisa May Alcott isn't a Lost Lady of Literature, granted, we're willing to guess a lot of you have never read this one. And even if you have, you probably want to hear it again. So Amy, since you're going to read some of it for us, maybe you can set the stage for everyone. So Alcott sets this story the day before Thanksgiving at the country home of Mr. and Mrs. Bassett and their eight children. Eight. Oh my gosh. Eight is enough. Eight is enough. (laughs) How does the song go? Eight is enough. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, Mrs. Bassett is in the kitchen starting to wrap her head around preparing the Thanksgiving feast for the next day when she gets word that her mother is at death's door. Oh, no. She's being summoned to come say her final goodbyes. 
So she and Mr. Bassett take the youngest child, an infant, with them, and they hurry off in a sleigh to grandmother's house, which is 20 miles away. But they instruct their oldest boy, F, short for Ephraim, I guess, and their 14-year-old daughter, Tilly, to hold down the fort with the younger kids while they're away. Unfortunately, a snowstorm is also coming, but the kids assure their parents that they can manage until Pa gets back to the house the following evening. So once the parents rush off, the kids soon forget all about grandmother's illness and relish in their newfound freedom and responsibility. Wait, is this Home Alone circa 1882? Yes. (laughs) I, I would say the kids are a little precocious, so you're left wondering what's going to happen now that they've been left all alone in the house. Yes. Yeah, I'm totally getting Ruggles vibes Um, for our listeners. That's the Kids in the Birds Christmas Carol by Kate Douglas Wiggin. We featured that story at Christmas time last year. Yes, I thought of the Ruggles too. I would say these kids aren't quite as crazed as the Ruggles, but definitely cute. Definitely cute. So to save some time here, I'm just going to drop into the story around the halfway point, just as the Bassett children wake up on Thanksgiving morning and things start to get interesting. So without further ado, here's the rest of Louisa May Alcott's An Old-Fashioned Thanksgiving. When they woke, like early birds, it still snowed, but up the little bassets jumped, broke the ice in their pitchers, and went down with cheeks glowing like winter apples after a brisk scrub and scramble into their clothes. F was off to the barn, and Tilly soon had a great kettle of mush ready, which, with warm milk from the cows, made a wholesome breakfast for the seven hardy children. Now about dinner, said the young housekeeper as the pewter spoons stopped clattering and the earthen bowls stood empty. Ma said have what we liked, but she didn't expect us to have a real Thanksgiving dinner because she won't be here to cook it and we don't know how, began Prue doubtfully. I can roast a turkey and make a pudding as well as anybody, I guess. The pies are all ready, and if we can't boil vegetables and so on, we don't deserve any dinner, cried Tilly burning to distinguish herself and bound to enjoy to the utmost her brief authority. Yes, yes, cried all the boys. Let's have a dinner anyway. Ma won't care, and the good victuals will spoil if they ain't eaten right up. Pa is coming tonight, so we won't have dinner till late. That will be real genteel and give us plenty of time, added Tilly, suddenly realizing the novelty of the task she had undertaken. Did you ever roast a turkey? asked Roxy with an air of deep interest. "'Should you darest to try?' said Rhody in an awe-stricken tone. "'You will see what I can do. "'Ma said I was to use my judgment about things, and I'm going to. "'All you children have got to do is keep out of the way and let Prue and me work. "'F, I wish you'd put a fire in the best room so the little ones can play in there. "'We shall want the settin' room for the table, and I won't have them pickin' round when we get things fixed,' "'commanded Tilly, bound to make her short reign a brilliant one.' I don't know about that. Ma didn't tell us to, began cautious F, who felt that this invasion of the sacred best parlor was a daring step. Don't we always do it Sundays and Thanksgivings? Wouldn't Ma wish the children kept safe and warm anyhow? Can I get up a nice dinner with four rascals under my feet all the time? Come now, if you want roast turkey and onions, plum pudding and mince pie, you'll have to do as I tell you and be lively about it. Tilly spoke with such spirit, and her last suggestion was so irresistible, that F gave in, and, laughing good-naturedly, tramped away to heat up the best room, devoutly hoping that nothing serious would happen to punish such audacity. 
The young folks delightedly trooped in to destroy the order of that prim apartment with housekeeping under the black horsehair sofa, horseback riders on the arms of the best rocking chair, and an Indian war dance all over the well-waxed furniture. F, finding the society of the peaceful sheep and cows more to his mind than that of two excited sisters, lingered over his chores in the barn as long as possible and left the girls in peace. Now Tilly and Prue were in their glory, and as soon as the breakfast things were out of the way, they prepared for a grand cooking time. They were handy girls, though they had never heard of a cooking school, never touched a piano, and knew nothing of embroidery beyond the samplers which hung framed in the parlor, one ornamented with a pink mourner under a blue weeping willow, the other with this pleasing verse, each word being done in a different color which gave the effect of a distracted rainbow. This sampler neat was worked by me, in my twelfth year, Prudence B. Both rolled up their sleeves, put on their largest aprons, and got out all the spoons, dishes, pots, and pans they could find, so as to have everything handy, as Prue said. Now, sister, we'll have dinner at five. Pa will be here by that time if he is coming tonight, and be so surprised to find us all ready, for he won't have had any very nice victuals if Grandma is so sick, said Tilly importantly. I shall give the children a piece at noon. Tilly meant luncheon. Donuts and cheese with apple pie and cider will please him. There's beans for F. He likes cold pork, so we won't stop to warm it up, for there's lots to do, and I don't mind saying to you, I'm dreadful dubersome about the turkey. It's all ready but the stuffing, and roasting is as easy as can be. I can baste first rate. Ma always likes to have me. I'm so patient and steady, she says, answered Prue, for the responsibility of this great undertaking did not rest upon her, so she took a cheerful view of things. "'I know, but it's the stuffin' that troubles me,' said Tilly, rubbing her round elbows as she eyed the immense fowl laid out on a platter before her. "'I don't know how much I want, nor what sort of yarbs to put in, and he's so awful big I'm kind of afraid of him.' "'I ain't. I fed him all summer, and he never gobbled at me. I feel real mean to be thinking of gobbling him, poor old chap,' laughed Prue, patting her departed pet with an air of mingled affection and appetite." "'Well, I'll get the puddin' off my mind first, for it ought to boil all day. "'Put the big kettle on and see that the spit is clean while I get ready.' "'Prue obediently tugged away at the crane with its black hooks "'from which hung the iron tea kettle in three-legged pot. "'Then she settled the long spit in the grooves made for it in the tall andirons "'and put the dripping pan underneath, "'for in those days meat was roasted as it should be, not baked in ovens.' Meantime, Tilly attacked the plum pudding. She felt pretty sure of it coming out right here, for she had seen her mother do it so many times it looked very easy. So in went suet and fruit, all sorts of spice to be sure she got the right ones, and brandy instead of wine. But she forgot both sugar and salt, and tied it in the cloth so tightly that it had no room to swell, so it would come out as heavy as lead and as hard as a cannonball if the bag did not burst and spoil it all. Happily unconscious of these mistakes, Tilly popped it into the pot and proudly watched it bobbing about before she put the cover on and left it to its fate. "'I can't remember what flavorin' Ma puts in,' she said, when she had got her bread well-soaked for the stuffing. "'Sage and onions and applesauce go with goose, but I can't feel sure of anything but pepper and salt for turkey.' "'Ma puts in some kind of mint, I know, but I forget whether it is spearmint, peppermint, or pennyroyal,' answered Prue, in a tone of doubt, but trying to show her knowledge of yarbs, or at least of their names. "'Seems to me it's sweet marjoram or summer savory. I guess we'll put both in, and then we are sure to be right. The best is up garret. 
"'You run and get some while I mash the bread,' commanded Tilly, diving into the mess. Away trotted Prue, but in her haste she got catnip and wormwood, for the garret was darkish, and Prue's little nose was so full of the smell of the onions she had been peeling that everything smelt of them. Eager to be of use, she pounded up the herbs and scattered the mixture with a liberal hand into the bowl. "'It doesn't smell just right,' "'But I suppose it will when it is cooked,' said Tilly, as she filled the empty stomach that seemed aching for food, and sewed it up with the blue yarn which happened to be handy. She forgot to tie down his legs and wings, but she set him by till his hour came, well satisfied with her work. "'Shall we roast the little pig, too? I think he'd look nice with a necklace of sausages, as Ma fixed one last Christmas,' asked Prue, elated with their success. "'I couldn't do it. I loved that little pig and cried when he was killed.' "'I should feel as if I was roasting the baby,' answered Tilly, "'glancing toward the buttery where Piggy hung, "'looking so pink and pretty it certainly did seem cruel to eat him. "'It took a long time to get all the vegetables ready, "'for as the cellar was full, the girls thought they would have every sort. "'F helped, and by noon all was ready for cooking, "'and the cranberry sauce, a good deal scorched, was cooling in the lean-to. "'Luncheon was a lively meal, and donuts and cheese vanished in such quantities "'that Tilly feared no one would have an appetite for her sumptuous dinner.' The boys assured her they would be starving by five o'clock, and Saul mourned bitterly over the little pig that was not to be served up. "'Now you all go and coast while Prue and I set the table and get out the best chiny,' said Tilly, bent on having her dinner look well, no matter what its other failings might be. Out came the rough sleds, on went the round hoods, old hats, red cloaks, and moccasins, and away trudged the four younger bassets to disport themselves in the snow and try the ice down by the old mill where the great wheel turned and splashed so merrily in the summertime. F. took his fiddle and scraped away to his heart's content in the parlor, while the girls, after a short rest, set the table and made all ready to dish up the dinner when the exciting moment came. It was not at all the sort of table we see now, but would look very plain and countrified to us, with its green-handled knives and two-pronged steel forks, its red and white china, and pewter platters scoured till they shone, with mugs and spoons to match, and a brown jug for the cider. The cloth was coarse but white as snow, and the little maids had seen the blue-eyed flax grow, out of which their mother wove the linen they had watched and watered while it bleached in the green meadow. They had no napkins and little silver, but the best tankard and Ma's few wedding spoons were set forth in state. Nuts and apples at the corners gave an air, and the place of honor was left in the middle for the oranges yet to come. "'Don't it look beautiful?' said Prue, when they paused to admire the general effect. "'Pretty nice, I think. I wish Ma could see how well we can do it,' began Tilly, when a loud howling startled both girls and sent them flying to the window. The short afternoon had passed so quickly that twilight had come before they knew it, and now, as they looked out through the gathering dusk, they saw four small black figures tearing up the road to come bursting in, all screaming at once, "'The bear! The bear! F, get the gun! He's coming! He's coming!' F had dropped his fiddle and got down his gun before the girls could calm the children enough to tell their story, which they did in a somewhat incoherent manner." "'Down in the holler, coastin', we heard a growl,' began Saul, with his eyes as big as saucers. "'I see him first looking over the wall,' roared Seth, eager to get his share of honor. "'Awful big and shaggy,' quavered Roxy, clinging to Tilly, while Rody hid in Prue's skirts and piped out. "'His great paws kept clawing at us, and I was so scared my legs would hardly go.' 
We ran away as fast as we could, and he come growling after us. He's awful hungry, and he'll eat every one of us if he gets in, continued Saul, looking about him for a safe retreat. Oh, F, don't let him eat us, cried both little girls, flying upstairs to hide under their mother's bed as their surest shelter. No danger of that, you little geese. I'll shoot him as soon as he comes. Get out of the way, boys. And F raised the window to get good aim. There he is. Fire away and don't miss, cried Seth, hastily following Saul, who had climbed to the top of the dresser as a good perch from which to view the approaching fray. Prue retired to the hearth as if bent on dying at her post rather than desert the turkey now browning beautiful, as she expressed it. But Tilly boldly stood at the open window, ready to lend a hand if the enemy proved too much for F. All had seen bears, but none had ever come so near before, and even brave F felt that the big brown beast slowly trotting up the dooryard was an unusually formidable specimen. He was growling horribly and stopped now and then as if to rest and shake himself. Get the axe, Tilly, and if I should miss, stand ready to keep him off while I load again, said F, anxious to kill his first bear in style and alone. A girl's help didn't count. Tilly flew for the axe and was at her brother's side by the time the bear was near enough to be dangerous. He stood on his hind legs and seemed to sniff with relish the savory odors that poured out of the window. Fire, F, cried Tilly firmly. Wait till he rears again. I'll get a better shot then, answered the boy, while Prue covered her ears to shut out the bang, and the small boys cheered from their dusty refuge up among the pumpkins. But a very singular thing happened next, and all who saw it stood amazed, for suddenly Tilly threw down the axe, flung open the door, and ran straight into the arms of the bear, who stood erect to receive her, while his growlings changed to a loud, Ha ha! that startled the children more than the report of a gun. "'It's Gad Hopkins trying to fool us!' cried F, much disgusted at the loss of his prey, for these hardy boys loved to hunt and prided themselves on the number of wild animals and birds they could shoot in a year. "'Oh, Gad, how could you scare us so?' laughed Tilly, still held fast in one shaggy arm of the bear, while the other drew a dozen oranges from some deep pocket in the buffalo-skin coat and fired them into the kitchen with such good aim that F ducked, Prue screamed, and Saul and Seth came down much quicker than they went up. "'Well, you see, I got upset over yonder, and the old horse went home while I was floundering in a drift. So I tied on the bufflers to totem easy and come along till I see the children playing in the holler. I just meant to give them a little scare, but they run like partridges, and I kept up the joke to see how F would like this sort of company.' And Gad ha-hawed again. "'You'd have had a warm welcome if we hadn't found you out.' "'I'd have put a bullet through you in a jiffy, old chap,' said F, "'coming out to shake hands with the young giant, "'who was only a year or two older than himself. "'Come in and set up to dinner with us. "'Prue and I have done it all ourselves, "'and Pa will be along soon, I reckon,' cried Tilly, trying to escape. "'Couldn't, no ways. "'My folks will think I'm dead if I don't get along home, "'since the horse and sleigh have gone ahead empty. "'I've done my errand and have my joke. "'Now I want my pay, Tilly.' and Gad took a hearty kiss from the rosy cheeks of his little sweetheart, as he called her. His own cheeks tingled with a smart slap she gave him as she ran away, calling out that she hated bears and would bring her axe next time. "'I ain't afeard. Your sharp eyes found me out, and if you run into a bear's arms you must expect a hug,' answered Gad, as he pushed back the robe and settled his fur cap more becomingly. "'I should have known you in a minute if I hadn't been asleep when the girls squalled.' 
You did it well, though, and I advise you not to try it again in a hurry or you'll get shot, said F as they parted, he rather crestfallen and gad in high glee. My sakes alive! The turkey is burnt on one side and the kettles have boiled over so the pies I put to warm are all ashes, scolded Tilly as the flurry subsided and she remembered her dinner. Well, I can't help it. I couldn't think of victuals when I expected to be eaten alive myself, could I? pleaded poor Prue, who had tumbled into the cradle when the rain of oranges began. Tilly laughed and all the rest joined in, so good humor was restored, and the spirits of the younger ones were revived by sucks from the one orange which passed from hand to hand with great rapidity, while the older girls dished up the dinner. They were just struggling to get the pudding out of the cloth when Roxy called out, "'Here's Pa! There's folks with him!' added Rody. "'Lots of them!' "'I see two big sleighs chock full,' shouted Seth, peering through the dusk. "'It looks like a cemetery. "'Guess Grandma's dead and come up to be buried here,' said Saul in a solemn tone. "'This startling suggestion made Tilly, Prue, and F hasten to look out, "'full of dismay at such an ending of their festival. "'If that is a funeral, the mourners are uncommon jolly,' said F dryly, "'as merry voices and loud laughter broke the white silence without.' I see Aunt Cynthia and Cousin Hetty, and there's Mose and Amos. I do declare Pa's bringing them all home to have some fun here, cried Prue, as she recognized one familiar face after another. Oh, my patience! Ain't I glad I got dinner, and don't I hope it will turn out good, exclaimed Tilly, while the twins pranced with delight, and the small boys roared, Hooray for Pa! Hooray for Thanksgiving! The cheer was answered heartily, and in came father, mother, baby, aunts, and cousins, all in great spirits, and all much surprised to find such a festive welcome awaiting them. "'Ain't Grandma dead at all?' asked Saul in the midst of kissing and handshaking. "'Bless your heart, no. It was all a mistake of old Mr. Chaddick's. He's as deaf as an adder, and when Mrs. Brooks told him mother was mending fast and she wanted me to come down today, certain sure he got the message all wrong and give it to the first person passing in such a way as to scare me almost to death and send us down in a hurry. Mother was sitting up as chirk as you please and dreadful sorry you didn't all come. So, to keep the house quiet for her and give you a taste of the fun, your pa fetched us all to spend the evening and we are going to have a jolly time on it to judge by the looks of things said Aunt Cynthia, briskly finishing the tale when Mrs. Bassett paused for want of breath. "'What in the world put it into your head we was coming, and set you to getting up such a supper?' asked Mr. Bassett, looking about him, well pleased and much surprised at the plentiful table. Tilly modestly began to tell, but the others broke in and sang her praises in a sort of chorus in which bears, pigs, pies, and oranges were oddly mixed." Great satisfaction was expressed by all, and Tilly and Prue were so elated by the commendation of Ma and the aunts that they set forth their dinner, sure everything was perfect. But when the eating began, which it did the moment wraps were off, then their pride got a fall. For the first person who tasted the stuffing, it was Big Cousin Moe's, and that made it harder to bear, nearly choked over the bitter morsel. "'Tilly Bassett, whatever made you put wormwood and catnip in your stuffin?' demanded Ma, trying not to be severe, for all the rest were laughing, and Tilly looked ready to cry. "'I did it,' said Prue, nobly taking all the blame, which caused Pa to kiss her on the spot and declare that it didn't do a mite of harm, for the turkey was all right. "'I never seen onions cooked better.' "'All the vegetables is well done, and the dinner a credit to you, my dears,' declared Aunt Cynthia, with her mouth full of the fragrant vegetable she praised. The pudding was an utter failure, in spite of the blazing brandy in which it lay. 
as hard and heavy as one of the stone balls on Squire Duncan's great gate. It was speedily whisked out of sight, and all fell upon the pies, which were perfect. But Tilly and Prue were much depressed, and didn't recover their spirits till the dinner was over and the evening fun well under way. Blind Man's Bluff, Hunt the Slipper, Come Philander, and other lively games soon set everyone bubbling over with jollity, and when F struck up Money Musk on his fiddle, old and young fell into their places for a dance. All down the long kitchen they stood, Mr. and Mrs. Bassett at the top, the twins at the bottom, and then away they went, heeling and towing, cutting pigeon wings, and taking their steps in a way that would convulse modern children with their newfangled romps called dancing. Mose and Tilly covered themselves with glory by the vigor with which they kept it up, till fat Aunt Cynthia fell into a chair, breathlessly declaring that a very little of such exercise was enough for a woman of her heft. Apples and cider, chat and singing, finished the evening, and after a grand kissing all around, the guests drove away in the clear moonlight which came just in time to cheer their long drive. When the jingle of the last bell had died away, Mr. Bassett said soberly as they stood together on the hearth, "'Children, we have special cause to be thankful that the sorrow we expected was changed into joy, so we'll read a chapter before we go to bed and give thanks where thanks is due.' Then Tilly set out the light stand with the big Bible on it, and a candle on each side, and all sat quietly in the firelight, smiling as they listened with happy hearts to the sweet old words that fit at all times and seasons so beautifully. When the good nights were over and the children in bed, Prue put her arm around Tilly and whispered tenderly, for she felt her shake and was sure she was crying. "'Don't mind about the old stuffin' and puddin', dearie. Nobody cared.' And Ma said we really did do surprising well for such young girls. The laughter Tilly was trying to smother broke out then and was so infectious Prue could not help joining her, even before she knew the cause of the merriment. I was mad about the mistakes, but don't care enough to cry. I'm laughing to think how gad fooled F and I found him out. I thought Mose and Amos would have died over it when I told them. It was so funny, explained Tilly when she got her breath. I was so scared that when the first orange hit me, I thought it was a bullet and scrambled into the cradle as fast as I could. It was real mean to frighten the little ones so, laughed Prue as Tilly gave a growl. Here, a smart rap on the wall of the next room caused a sudden lull in the fun, and Mrs. Bassett's voice was heard saying warningly, Girls, go to sleep immediate or you'll wake the baby. Yes, um, answered two meek voices, and after a few irrepressible giggles, silence reigned, broken only by an occasional snore from the boys or the soft scurry of mice in the buttery, taking their part in this old-fashioned Thanksgiving. Amy, that was so sweet. I loved it. We hope that you all enjoyed this little installment of Lost Ladies of Lit Story Hour just as much as I obviously did. And we hope that you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And if you're not completely in a food coma next week, we hope you'll join us again to discuss another Lost Lady. Yes, as if you didn't need any more food, um, we'll be discussing food writer MFK Fisher and her wartime classic, How to Cook a Wolf. We've got a phenomenal guest joining us to discuss Fisher's life and work, her biographer, Ann Zimmerman. I can't wait. In the meantime, we're so grateful to have the support of you, our listeners. And if you want to share in that spirit, perhaps you could take a moment to give us a quick review over at Apple Podcasts. It's one of the simplest ways you can show your support for us. Our theme song was written and performed by Jenny Malone, and our logo was designed by Harriet Grant. Lost Ladies of Lit is produced by Amy Helms and me, Kim Askew.